All right. Here we go. <laughs> yep, now that Will has figured out what day it is. Yep, we're back, friends. Um, as per usual, if you want to show us some love and join the Patreon, that would be sick. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, otherwise, let's see, we'll probably get this out quick since the show is soon. Uh, Sunday, be in Wisconsin for a screening of Faceless, Francomania um, at X-Ray Arcade, and then on the 12th at Music Box Theater in Chicago. We are back with our final four now, highs and lows, and we are giving you a hell of an evening um, just to uh, mourn and to celebrate life with uh, Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered and Lars Von Trier's The Idiots. And there will also be a... Um, some of y'all are kind and, you know, mention and dig our pre-shows anyway, but especially for this one, we'd recommend getting there at 6.30 so you can see the whole pre-show, which will be full of way too much time spent uh, going through everything Tom Green ever touched in his life, but it's going to be amazing, so. There's some episodes of that show that definitely tie into... Pretty apt. Actually, both movies, but also... It will deepen Freddy Got Fingered for you probably a little bit. Yep. <laughs> well, which, which, uh, what are we talking about here? Are we talking Vaughn We're talking Freddy first? Well, I mean, since that's the order they're showing. Okay, let's talk Freddy first. All right. Uh, and as, as we've said on many episodes, Maybe there'll be a surprise for those of you who attend as well. Maybe there won't. We'll find out. We're uh, still talking with this person. Yes. Talking with someone special who had a special role in this film about a special surprise for Freddy Got Fingered. We'll see if it happens. This person's busy. It's Uh, there's no there's no people can. It's Tom Green. We're talking with Tom Green. We're seeing if he'll make a (laughs) sketch or not sketch, a tribute video. He's very busy. He's working on a documentary set right now. Yeah. He's doing stand-up again, so he's he's busy. He wanted to be there, but yeah, he, he would have come if he, he would have come. He, he would have come. come. We can officially say that. Yeah, yeah. Um, because he's excited to hear that we'll be showing the the last, as far as anyone knows, remaining thirty-five millimeter print of Freddie Got Fingered. Um. So you're going to see this movie the way very few people ever did, even when it came out. Um, and it's going to be incredible. And, you know, as the world is weird as it is, it's now owned by Disney. So whatever. Uh, but yeah. So first up, we're going to start with, feeling, you know, what? I have a feeling it's going to show up on Disney plus any day now. <laughs> yeah. Because they made the adults, the adults version of the app now. Uh-huh. Make sure the kiddies don't see any weird titles. That was that true. Yeah, yeah. There's a there. You can set up on Disney Plus if you have the adults version where you can see everything, or if it's just kids. So all of the uh, you know R-rated movies they own now are not on there mm. unless unless you have that set up. I like how Bob Iger is like. I don't like all the messaging and the wokeness in our movies. So we're gonna really swing that pendulum all the way, and we're just gonna put Freddie Got Fingered up. Because it didn't happen until he was back on the team. So. Well, you all let us know when Freddy Got Fingered pops up on Disney Plus. That will be a moment to celebrate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so no, uh, like it is. It is. It's, it's on cool. Disney Plus. Yeah. See, I thought that, and then I was like, "Is this real?" 
Oh my god. Yeah, it's on there. <laughs> Hold on. I gotta confirm this. <laughs> yeah, it is on there. Okay. Bob well, Iger is like, I'm gonna fire all the diversity chiefs and get Freddie got fingered on the streaming service because I know what will save this company. <laughs> I just love reading their description they put. A man is forced oh, okay. to move back. He's, yeah, so here's what Disney Plus describes it. A man is forced to move back in with his parents and then refuses to leave. That's it? That's what they wrote. Damn it. Now it we, we have to cut that out because now everyone will see on the Music Box website that our capsule is just exactly the one from Disney Plus. That's exactly <laughs> what we did. Yeah, that's exactly what we said. <laughs> okay. Well, they're playing it safe over there. That's for sure. Yep. Oh boy. Yeah, this is uh yeah, Freddie Got Fingered, the movie he made right after his infamous uh testicle surgery for cancer. Uh, nothing like making you realize how fucking dumb the whole world is and how dumb the quest for fame in Hollywood is than having a surgery like that that you know is going to decide one way or the other if you live much longer mm-hmm. and it's incredible that when he came out of that he was like you know what it's going to make me feel better i'm going to convince these idiots to give me insane amounts of money i'm going to punish them all mm-hmm. <laughs> well i think at that point he had the tom green show had ended right i believe so because the new tom green show started right after freddie right well they did that uh they did the Japanese monkey hour. Do you yep. remember that? And that was not the, that was like the, it was like a special to kind of like continue off of the Tom green show. I don't know if that felt under the new Tom green show or not. I, hmm, that's a good question. Cause yeah, let's, let's take a look. Maybe it look. was the, maybe it uh, was Tom green show. Yeah. Tom green show officially ends in 2000. Um, and then he's in Superstar, Road Trip, Charlie's Angels. Yeah. And then the Chad. Yeah. The, cl- <laughs> the classic, the Chad moment. <laughs> uh, also exciting for all of you. There will be some stuff in the pre-show. I've been trying to find the first movie he was in for a long time. And I finally found VHS Rip. And the movie is called Clutch. And his character's name is Computer Gimp. Um, so y'all are going to want to see that. It's fucking awesome. <laughs> yep. It's awesome. So, so apparently the, the Tom Green subway monkey hour was actually between the new Tom Green show and the, the death of the old Tom Green show. And after Freddie got fingered. So technically it's his second directed thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, uh, you know, start shit out on the right foot here. For folks who have never really seriously considered Tom Green, you know, as any semblance of a real artist, um, this dude is without question, in my opinion, one of the greatest deconstructionist comedians we ever had. Um, An actual absurdist, I think, who actually understands what that means and is smart enough uh, about culture to understand what that means, (laughs) what you need to do to pull it off. We're going to have a lot of listeners who might not even know who Tom Green is because I have brought this up to people who are, are younger and they do not know who he is. So we'll yeah, just say that. Yeah, we'll just say that Tom Green, there would be, there would be no, we'll put it simply this way there would be no jackass. There would be no Borat. I mean, it'd be awesome for Sacha Baron Cohen at this point to just incinerate and disappear off the face of the <laughs> earth. But. 
when he was good, oh. he was taking his shit directly from Tom Green. There would be no Eric Andre. There would be no Tim Heidecker. There'd be no Nathan Fielder. There'd be no, I think you should leave. There would be none of that if not for Tom Green. And truly, when speaking of jackass and like talk about the cultural impact of that, this is so much of jackass was taken from the Tom Green show, harassing your parents, uh, pretending to be disabled, pretending to be an old person in a store. All these gags came from the Tom Green show and even skateboarding stunts. Tom Green was a actually a pretty renowned skateboarder, not renowned, yep. but good. Yep. Yep. No, people actually wanted to skate with him. Like he would, he was friends with these people, not just because he got famous, but because he was an actual skater. And so they wanted to hang with him. Yeah. And just yeah, with Tony Hawk. I remember the episode with Tony Hawk. Where oh, it's so good. It's yeah. so good. They had the same haircut in high school. That was a great gag that went around because they had the swoop bangs, uh, like 80s hell hairstyle yeah. that really existed for a moment. People uh-huh. don't believe it. Everyone thinks it's Photoshop, but that shit is real. <laughs> um, but I think to frame him too, before we get into the movie, there are not a lot of people that Tom Green comes from, but in my opinion, the two biggest, if you want to give it to anybody, would be this guy comes directly from uh, Andy Kaufman and Albert Brooks. Absolutely. I think. Well, yeah. Albert Brooks, especially because he puts Julie Haggerty and Rip Torn in Freddie Got Fingered. Uh, he knows, he knows, you know, because like we said, he fucking knows his shit. Tom Green is so smart and hyper educated. Uh, obsessively so for sure because his brain he just can't control it but he's so much so much from that world but he really not just came from Albert Brooks and Andy Kaufman but it's what he did with what was happening in the world with the internet with media with cameras all that shit what he updated the things they were interested in the way he did it is so smart and you know had to happen when it did and I wonder if he was aware because not a lot of people were that back in the 70s um because it never none of this ever showed up it, i think it recently you can see little clips of it in that documentary that rob reiner did but steven spielberg and albert brooks used to go around and do fake man on the street stuff like yeah, literal yeah 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 but they never showed up they i don't think they were ever on snl he had his snl thing where he would do things similar to that but spielberg yeah. would get his like eight millimeter and they would just drive around and like say weird things to people and catch reactions. And well, so I wonder if he was aware of that. Cause that is very proto Tom. Oh Green. yeah. Yep. And well, they, as, as always, and I don't want to hear it otherwise, Albert Brooks is usually the answer to all questions about things that are good. So, <laughs> Oh, well, I mean, I think, you know, this and maybe people who've listened to the show. I mean, if, if I have my Mount Rushmore, he's oh. on. He's on there. There's Bob Dylan, and then there's Albert Brooks. And <laughs> uh, then maybe that's it. I don't know. <laughs> it's just really big heads of Bob and Albert. Big Jewish heads up in the air. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but yeah, so like, oh, yeah. I mean, he's he's a, he's a, he was an he's a true artist, and I think like especially with Albert Brooks, I mean, like and Andy Kaufman. These are the only people that up until that point were literally about breaking down the conventions of comedy and Albert Brooks did it and it was big. And then Andy Kaufman did it. And that introduced a kind of distancing affect to it, which Tom Green took to the ultimate, because if you don't remember that show, 
he would do things on that show that would be funny for a minute and then he would just keep drilling them to the point that no one was laughing anymore and it re-watching these brought such a smile to my face because i used to watch this shit constantly and i'd forgotten so much about it you know like i remembered how he was mean to his co-host glenn but i'd completely forgotten like how because i guess you're not you're not attuned to human behavior in the way that you are in your 30s when you're i guess i was in like what we were in fifth grade maybe oh we were babies it's 94 well, that was the, but that was the, that was the Canadian one. What we saw was yeah. 97 to. Yeah, I think that's when it came over. 98 to 99, somewhere in there. That was that real hot moment where he would be on at 1030 every night on MTV. Oh, it's just like, I forgot like how forward thinking in anti-comedy, if you want to yep. use that silly term. Well, it's, it's actually apt here again, just like with Brooks and with Kaufman, because it's thrown around so much now. People forget what it actually takes to do it, and like the commitment and the intelligence to do it. And also, last highlight: Tom Green show in Canada was 1994, which is one year before Mister Show. Also, another show much loved for anti comedy and pushing these boundaries and shit. And this isn't to shit on Mister Show; I still love it. No, I mean, but. But it is to say that Tom Green even beat those dudes to this punch. We have a lot of influence on modern comedy today, and we'll get to another one shortly. But uh, I, yeah, I mean, he, because it's it's interesting because Albert Brooks was able to focus in on things like the uncomfortability of being a person in a way that no one had done before. I mean, modern romance has to be one of the most daring things ever. And that's why it's transcendent. One of well, not to mention real life talking on this one too. Well, well, absolutely real life. But I just mean pushing a level of uncomfortability yeah. and yeah. not being able to sit very plainly with it. I mean, you could argue Lost in America kind of does that to the uh, the boomer generation a bit, but it's 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 not as volatile as modern romance. No, because modern romance too comes from a place of self hatred really, which is going to be a theme throughout the whole talk today with both these filmmakers. Absolutely. And like interrogating those uncomfortable things that if you care to grow as a person, you have to constantly be doing to keep yourself on your toes. And these Brooks and Tom Green both love nothing more than to drill in on their own insecurities and their own discomfort yeah. to put it back out into the world and make people do the same. I mean, they were fearless. That's clearly, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think it's it's pretty clear to make a leap from modern romance into Freddie Got Fingered. But even with the Tom Green show, I think that's the real like starting point for all this because, you know, like they would do things like, I mean, he'd pretend to be blind. He'd pretend to be in a wheelchair. Yeah. Just um, anything, anything to fuck with people. Um, and if if you are if you do like Andy Kaufman, the closest thing he ever did to this realm that Tom Green definitely loves, he talked about it. Was that Andy Kaufman created this wrestling character, this professional wrestling character, and after a couple performances, decided he wasn't pushing anything far enough. So his whole shtick became to say that women shouldn't wrestle and that no woman ever in history could beat him. 
and he publicly sent this all out and these very real matches <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, and that he would put on would be him just saying the most horrible shit on earth yeah. to provoke women in the crowd to come and just beat the shit out of him and he you know ended up in the hospital many times and that gag is what you know ruined his career essentially and i think it's apt that this movie is also what ruined tom green's career because well, it's a similar level of like just no 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 i'm just gonna push everyone and see how far it takes before people are like nope <laughs> That's too much. Yeah. I mean, I recall very plainly the Tom Green episode uh, that took place on the Ukrainian spring break cruise ship. Um, <laughs> where the needs to be 18 hours is the problem. It, so it, uh, yeah. I mean, he, he just like what he does is he takes what could have been a fun thing. He's a big star at MTV at this point. He's in Pepsi one commercials. He's doing uh, cameos in Charlie's Angels. Like yeah. he's a big He's a big deal. It's crazy to remember that he really had that sort of a moment for a while. And people would come to these shows and they would laugh at all this stuff. Um, and the spring break one could have just been him having some fun pranks aboard the MTV spring break cruise. But instead, he decides to just make it a full on assault of everyone on the boat, crew, passengers, <laughs> And does things like piss a guy off trying to force him to eat his chest hair sandwich to the point that the guy nearly becomes physically uh, assaultive of him. He, uh, <laughs> he he directs over the PA everyone in the mess hall to um, dump water and drinks and cheese all over a, a man he sees trying to just eat a salad. And uh, it causes ire with other people who that episode felt very emblematic because there's a couple people on the cruise who are so offended that this happened to this guy that they don't know. And the guy's loving it. He's having a good time. But these two people get so upset at Tom Green and they're like, you know, you assaulted this man. And he's like, I just I just poured cheese on him. I just, you know. <laughs> And or I put butter. It was butter. That was it. Butter. Yeah. Cause he gets everyone later to chant like more butter, more butter. Um, <laughs> and even when people are on his side, he tries to get you off of his side. He, he's Which again is what happens and why anti-comedy true anti-comedy is so rare because the goal is never to win and to get a laugh. The goal is to keep going until you can't go any further. He gets a laugh and he says, well, fuck you if you're laughing. I'm going to need to piss you off now, too. I mean, the one that he took that the furthest was the one where he um, he has people in the audience. I don't remember what it, the episode was. It could have been the one. I don't remember. But there's he has people in the audience and he finds out that they're all from this New York suburb. And he's like, oh, yeah, well, we're literally going to take you home. And they're like, what? And he's like. No, when the, this episode ends, we're going to drive you back to your parents' homes in the suburbs. So he takes these people who are loving this idea and puts them on a bus and drives them hours to their parents' house in the suburbs. And they're just like, this is great. This is fun. But then as the gag starts coming to its ultimate conclusion, he pushes it to the level of trying to just disrupt their lives and they're like uh, actually i don't think you should come in my dad's actually gets really upset with this stuff and he's like oh okay sure 
And he still goes in to the point where these people who are on his side and fans are begging him to leave. They're pleading with him to go away. And they're calling, they're like, I'm going to sue you. I'm going to call the cops. And what is so interesting about that and why this is going to move into Freddie here is because he was doing that because on his show, the most famous thing he did, which Jackass ripped off completely, was he would um, harass his parents. And he would harass them like almost every show, I think. Yeah. yeah. And he would call them in the middle of the night. <laughs> He'd call them at 4.30. He would break into their home and put a, a, a dead horse head in their bed. Um, he asked them about their sexual life during their 30th anniversary. Uh, he asked if they, he, the dad would hit the wife, hit his mom anytime that dinner wasn't ready. <laughs> he went so far to construct statues of his dad hitting his mom <laughs> and then his dad fucking his mom from behind and putting that in their front lawn. That was probably the most famous, I think, of yeah. yeah. Of all <laughs> Because I remember that one quite clearly. Um, and the parent, the dad gets very upset, trashes the statues, and then literally calls MTV to sue MTV if they air that footage. Yep. yep. Um, and during those, we also get a glimpse of his brother, who uh -huh. does not seem to like the antics. <laughs> He's like, Tom, I got to be up. It's I got to work till seven tomorrow. Shut the fuck up. Well, his brother's clearly Freddie. So that was my point. So. <laughs> when we get to Freddie Got Fingered, <laughs> when you've seen this show, you get an idea that this is really part of a lineage. Oh, and of course, there's where he brings Monica Lewinsky. Well, that's I've already got that pulled for the pre-show. Oh, yeah, I hope you did. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that, that was like kind of a big moment, uh, I think. And that kind of was probably one of those things that turned a lot of people off. Of yeah. <laughs> you know, I right. Willie, yeah. <laughs> and around that time also green gave an interview where he said like the world he makes this art to respond to the world that is choked by a two-party system yep um so yeah by the time he gets here we've if you followed that show there's a there's an emotional if you could call it that weight to when the movie comes out because he's now taking this very idea of him and his parents and his brother and well Taking it to levels of crassness that I think are still going to shock people. Yes, they are. To this day. Um, yep. But it it doesn't feel offensive. Well, it's that's, that's again, I'm, I'm, so, I'm so glad we talked about the folks we have because, as promised, the last time I'll say it, so it's not annoying. But with Kaufman and Brooks, and to varying degrees, Brooks much more than Kaufman. The reason their shit is so special is because, yes, it's mean at times, but it is truly always done with an enormous amount of heart and literally just in hopes to shake the world up and wake everybody the fuck up and remind them like how absurd and how stupid and bad all this shit has gotten. And it's the same with Tom. It truly comes from a place of love. This whole movie, yes, it's filthy <laughs> on paper and in anyone else's hands. Anyone else's hands, it would be nothing but a like fucking boring edgelord movie. But since it comes from this place of heart and truly just wishing the world were better and more interesting and people were smarter and cared about each other, we get something that is truly tender. Hence why we cut the trailer the way we did <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, I do think it's a tender movie. I also think like this was such a a moment. Um, I mean, it was a moment for music during this time, and then it was a moment for things being pushed in a way. I mean, it's not for nothing that people had to choke down movies like My Left Foot at this point and think that that was a movie that's serious or the other movie. Yeah. Actually, maybe I'll save this point for our next movie, but I, I, I think like where I'm going with this is this could have really only existed in a world where the Fairley brothers came. I mean, the Fairley brothers changed a lot of like, they're not the same artist and they're not after the same things, but what they did was this gross out humor that took things to a level and then it was like tom green's like oh this is what you want oh you want this huh well let me see if i can gross out at that point had devolved heavily into you know things like american pie and the sequels things like tomcats like shit like that truly like say what you will about you know the Ferrelli brothers and dumb and dumber and shit or whatever but those are very different films and have very different intentions than how dark it had gotten in the in the realm of like gross out comedies and so tom green i think very wisely was like let me remind you of all what's happening well and then they i mean they stopped very soon after that because i think me myself and irene was kind of the last of their like <laughs> of that and then it's like osmosis jones and stuck on you and fever <laughs> which are all fine and they're own well maybe not osmosis jones but um okay. some of those <laughs> I have a little love for a couple of those, but still we're dealing with a totally different beast in Tom Green. And yeah, so this movie really just, if you don't know the plot very quickly, Tom Green is essentially playing himself. He, I think is, is his name Tom in it? No, it's a, Oh, what is it? Cause it's funny. You know, what is his name? And I have completely, that, that's why this movie almost like, it doesn't matter because you're just watching Tom and it doesn't yes. feel, it feels like, yeah, feels like okay. an extension of the show. If anything. Yeah. Gord. Gord is his name. Gordy. Gordy. Of course. Gordy. Yeah. Duh. yeah Gordy, Gordy and Freddie Brody. is the name. Uh, yeah. Oh man. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. So like the movie Gordy, Tom, we'll just say Tom. Cause that's the point. Tom wants to be a, an artist. He wants to be a cartoon artist. And he really wants to chase his dream. But his dad does not want him to chase his dream. His dad wants him to be a hard worker, a pick up, get up in the morning, get your coffee at nine, put the boots on and get to work kind of guy. Make some tea sandwiches. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. His first, he goes to yeah work at a tea sandwich shop. And he doesn't do so well <laughs> and he comes back and he is left to determine uh, his own future. And he decides, am I going to listen to my dad or am I going to go for my dream? Now there's a fun story in there, but then over the course of it, what this reveals is uh, Tom Green, his character's home life and this pretty apt especially viewing it now uh idea of workmanship and what you're supposed to do uh auto, almost automatically blindly in life and tom green especially at this time it's easier to understand now as we've seen how horrible the world is but 
you know, like the movie does attack very like uh, solidified and American ways of life notions about how you go about how you're supposed to be. And it is perfectly personified in Rip Torn, his dad. And yeah, if the title of the movie is kind of a miracle that it ever happened because a subplot in this movie is that he just to get a rise out of a situation <laughs> decides to tell a therapist that his dad used to finger his brother's bum when they was young when they were younger, which is not true. <laughs> and by the way, with the American Pie connection, his brother um is played by Eddie K. Thomas. Shit break. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He's he's his brother in this movie. Um and his brother's the one with a with a job and all that shit, which Tom Green, of course, doesn't miss the moments to poke holes in either, though, because when his brother brags about his job and he says, yeah, that's why you are here every morning. You need breakfast for free because you can't fucking afford it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's you can you can you can kind of like wiggle yourself around all the bamboo leg slapping jokes and the baby swinging and licking of bones but you know at the end of the day there is something pretty i guess powerful being said here and a a very um apt fuck you to society within the confines of this mtv produced movie i mean the great thing about the two movies we're going to talk about is one is produced almost like like true subversive smuggler art where it has all the camera all the lighting you need everything uh they even get tom Gre i mean i'm sure they were like okay we've seen what you've turned in tom and you just at the beginning make this look like an 80s movie where you're skateboarding to work <laughs> yeah 20th century fox was like just a little more of you skating to places and we can make it work yeah don't remind <laughs> Which people I love that too. the skateboarding's perfect it is. It, it doesn't fit the movie. I will say that when you know the movie and love it and accept it as a whole, it is kind of the one thing that stands out. But I, I don't think that was his decision. I really do think someone was like, no, we need to make people remember back to the future, I guess. And so we need to <laughs> see you kind of the skating montage. I get the only great thing about it is that he's a good skater. So it's kind of fun to watch, see him do these like tricks inside the mall, but you know, it's pleasurable, but at the end of the day, it's the thing that is least connected to this movie. And it's like, you know, whole purpose of being uh Roger Ebert probably said it the best where he trashed the movie, gave it zero stars and then said, yeah, but I mean, he took the escape hatch route, but he was like, eh, but it, it also could be a future classic one day and I could just be off the mark, Yep. which is kind of the greatest. I mean, it didn't help the movie. That movie died pretty hard at the box office, but that uh, killed hard. There's basically one person who liked it. Our buddy, Nick DiGiulio, film critic, uh, big Nick, he, he uh, banged the drum hard. He even told us about being at the press screening Yep. and how furious people were including um oh god damn it what's his name smokes weed a lot film critic rosenbaum, rosenbaum. Um, jonathan rosenbaum rosenbaum nick pissed people off a lot for sure anyway but jonathan rosenbaum hated this movie so much and not just that but was also so mad at nick DiGiulio for championing it 
that in his own review, he not only takes shots at the movie, but also at Nick and says uh, something along the lines of like, uh, you know, even the the critic Nick DiGiulio championing this film as something incredible. But what can you expect from a guy who says the same about slashers regularly? <laughs> so it's such a good Rosenbaum moment. But again, just to highlight what we started this whole thing with. That's why Tom Green is so brilliant, man. Like, you know how happy, not at the time because his career ended, but do you know how happy it probably made him that one of the most respected and hoity-toity by reputation of critics at the time, Jonathan Rosenbaum, was so mad that he had to insult the movie and anyone who liked it. That's the, I mean, what else do you need? (laughs) Well, there could still be some Chicago (laughs) critics that react this way. Yep, and hopefully we tricked them all to come. <laughs> See there, one sent me their review of it, and I was like, "Well, you clearly don't like the movie." <laughs> well, actually, that's not true. That's of our second movie, but um, yes, yeah. But these are movies that continue to piss people off. I think being one of the main things. I think we've said enough about Freddy. I think we should just we'll go we'll go forever. So let's keep going. Um, and just to highlight again one more time, we'll get into it with the second movie. Yes, these movies are designed to piss people off and to rile people up. But again, why we wanted to do this double feature is because the true heart that runs through both of them and their actual goals being just literally a fucking better world and a more interesting world. It's not just there like in the style of a bad punk band like Murphy's Law or something where they're like just going to say horrible shit just to piss people off but with no goal other than just pissing people off that's not what we're dealing with here at all yeah 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 this is uh this is not edgelord bullshit this is not what friends of ours in new york attempts you know (laughs) 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 yep so our next one um can i just do a brief little von trier history run through it'll be so fast if you'd like (laughs) go ahead it's good. It's good. It'll, it, I promise it's worth it. So Lars von Trier, everyone knows him now, but let's erase all of that. Go back in time. And I'm going to tell the uh, reported story of his youth, which uh, brief aside in college, I did a three hour presentation on him because I'm an idiot. I passed out during it. <laughs> but uh, and when I was doing research, I found out something very interesting Um because Lars made shorts when he was a kid, and you can watch them, and they're really interesting and pretty cool. Uh, but anyway, so as legend has it, Lars von Trier grew up largely in a nudist commune in Denmark, and uh, where the one rule was no religion. <laughs> Everyone that lived there, the only rule was no religion. Well, so, and, no, and no clothes, but yeah. Well, I mean, it's in the name. It was a nudist colony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I've read about how he got yelled at for putting a sweater on once when it was cold. Yes. So Trier uh, is in this crazy environment. And so, again, as legend goes, when he was six years old, since the only rule was no religion, he said, I'm I'm done with school. I'm not going to school anymore. And his parents said, great. So he stopped going to school when he was six. Uh, He quickly after there is making some of these shorts and shit. But anyway, life goes on. Yada, yada. And being ridiculed for him. He was not known. These were not well received when they came out. By the commune or anyone who saw them. Yeah. Uh, People were not kind to little Lars. Um, And uh, so then 
at this point, he's making a couple more shorts. And then in 82, we get a movie called Images of Liberation, which is, is almost a feature, but really the first film is Element of Crime. And he makes this trilogy, Element of Crime Epidemic in Europa, with a TV movie, Medea in the middle. But those are very much like, uh, you know, kind of noir-focused deconstruction kind of things, whatever. And well, then they're 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 just uh, they're different, you know. They're like really very they're, different. They're uh, they're on dollies, uh, right. you know. It's slow motion. I mean, well, go on with what you're going to say because I think uh, we're like we're projecting classical things. Oh, yeah, I'm I'm almost there. I promise it's relevant. Yeah. And he's working on a show called The Kingdom. And then at this point, supposedly, what happens is Lars's mom says, we have to confess something to you, me and your dad. And he, you know, he says, what? And she says, this is, this is not your father, the man you grew up with. And, you know, of course, he's upset. And he's like, what? what's the deal? And she said, well, we so badly wanted to have an artistic child that I went to uh, a nearby village and fucked this uh, really incredible musician and artist until I got pregnant. So that's your dad. Lars freaks the fuck out. His whole world shatters, understandably. And then all of a sudden, he makes Breaking the Waves. Everything changes in that moment. And if you have not seen those early films, they're really good. But it's shocking how different they are. His well, whole world And then all of a sudden, it's this fierce fierce like intense aggressive emotionality and most importantly uh he gets obsessed with the idea and he's talked about it he does not say he doesn't feel that he's trans but he does say the only way i can do any real work is when i think of myself as a woman and he hates himself at this point he wants to be dead tries to kill himself but instead starts making these movies about himself as different women in different situations and so you get breaking the waves um which is eventually a trilogy but right after that uh we are now in a period he finishes the kingdom and he has some uh fame because of it and he starts working on the idiots which he says is his hate letter to the way he grew up yeah and everyone lied to him and how everyone treated him yeah i mean i think yeah i agree with all that i mean but it's like Right when he does the kingdom, I think is the moment of the split between Lars in the past and Lars in the future. Because the kingdom, uh, if people don't know what that is, it's a uh, absurdist kind of supernatural black comedy drama. It really defies all all labels. But it was a show that was influenced by Twin Peaks. And then I think a Swedish show from the sixties that I'm unfamiliar with, but and, and Hitchcock presents. Yeah. And Hitchcock presents. So it has this, you know, it, it's, it's, yeah, I guess Twin Peaks is obviously the way that you can probably find the easiest way into there, but the show formally really separates and and shows it. I mean, the opening, that great opening about the bleaching ponds is very much the filmmaker who made Element of Crime. Yeah. And then when the movie or when the show starts, it's it's the guy who makes Breaking the Waves. So and also if we're talking about Tom Green influencing stuff like Jackass, the cutting and joke delivery of the kingdom influenced a certain show called The Office almost assuredly. 
And it makes sense that that, like Ricky Gervais would have seen that show because he was like huge. And when Breaking the Waves comes out, he's working with British actors in this movie. And, you know, yeah. I was going to say in the kingdom, the thing that's relevant today, too, is the first time Lars, even though he's in this like pit of self-hatred, that's just, you know, starting to crush him. He hosts the show. That's the biggest Hitchcock influence. Really, the only the show's well, the, yeah. At the end of the movie, he or the end of the, each episode, he offers a little he gives you an outro and where he does his little like devil sign thing and like chastises the audience a little bit. So yeah. this is when he is like very excitedly and knowingly going, I went really far in this one. See you next time. It's gonna get worse. Mm-hmm. You know, and so that's when he starts to experiment with this idea of directly trying to push an audience and see what he can do to them. And breaking the waves does do that. It pushes you. I mean, that is one a emotional wallop of a film. Uh, it's brilliant. It's masterful. But my God, that movie. <laughs> yeah, if you're on the if you're on the suicide watch list, don't pop that one on until you get your script refilled. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Try, yeah, I, unless you can make it to that ending. But even then, you who knows, if you're truly depressive, it may not come across as transcendent. And I do think there's a winkingness at the end of that ending because that movie is kind of it's very emotional and that's all real. And what he feels for the Emily Watson character is all very real. And the the ways that she's outcast by all the men on this island and um, even the good guy husband and how he what he like situations he puts her into it, it like the idiots that they really defies an easy moral explanation or justification it it, it truly is uh it, it, yeah that's a that's a masterpiece uh, if yep. i if i can think of one but you know it does start this kind of real well i guess the kingdom does probably more but it starts this kind of uh investigation of i guess the neurodivergent to say mm-hmm put it one way because he's definitely trying to i mean i'm sure i mean lawrence on has to be a deeply autistic man but uh, oh, yeah, he's got he's one of those uh, cursed people who has truly like a rap sheet of the things that are afflicting him mentally and physically absolutely. obviously what's but always happened uh, yeah right yes yes so like you know i think people were quick to dismiss uh his portrayal of this but if, if anything it's probably pretty apt and very heartfelt like I, I don't I, it's not like making fun of this at all i mean the, that it was called the golden heart trilogy of uh because uh even bjork uh she's blind in fucking dancer in the dark so yeah, she's got, uh, yeah so it's yeah all three of them are about you know these these uh physical and mental things that are just part of us whether we like it or not and how the world treats you because of them mm-hmm. you know and they yeah, yeah. Maybe- like you said, the idiot is, is just people. It's just such a a, a quick knee jerk reaction. And I mean, I get it, especially at the time. You know, because again, he's he's at this time he's exploring the idea of what it feels like for everyone to be mad at him, and he likes it. But again, it's not in an edge lord way because there's a very real, very human goal, humanist goal here. Uh, and the idiots maybe is the like purest distillation of that idea. Because on paper and the poster, the tagline, take a long ride on the short bus, like the whole thing is set up so people will go, fuck you, this is the worst shit ever. But then if you actually watch the film, if that's what you come away with it with, like, I, I just don't understand what movie you watched, especially well, how it is. 
which we won't spoil for those who haven't seen. But. Yeah, and I don't understand. I'm going to just be honest. I don't get it. Like, I get the provocation, but then if you were to sit down and watch this movie, the only way you could not find it interesting or at least um, better than the reputation that preceded it, you must have a dialogue running through your head the entire time about telling you to dislike this movie because it's, you know, I've joked about people are going to walk out and obviously it's going to have a reaction. But if we're being honest, I do not understand the hate of this movie. It's very, uh, it, it, you know, it, it is so not this kind of like, let's throw some shit in your face and see how much we can piss you off. It's there by the design of the idea alone, but what he does with it is, uh, is truly transcendent. And I'm going to be honest, I probably my favorite of his films of the nineties. Absolutely. This is my favorite full tilt boogie ever since I saw this shit, I've been obsessed, but I, and I, I think it's going to highlight too, rather than going into the story that much, um, just that this is the Golden Hearts trilogy. And if you haven't seen them, what that means is each film is focused on a woman who is put in horrible situations and treated horribly by basically everyone in the world. And usually what these women are trying to do literally is just, you know, survive, find happiness, be able to work, be able to live their lives, and the world won't let them for whatever reason. And this one especially is about a woman who has never felt seen or loved or appreciated in her life at all and then she meets a group of people who are doing something so like outside of her realm of thinking doesn't even exist in her world uh that she feels from the tom green show they're doing something from the tom green show basically yeah and she feels for the first time seen and embraced and a part of something special and a part of something worthwhile and the film is exploring what the world does to people like that people who are outsiders because of how their brains are how their bodies are and how the fuck they're supposed to navigate the world yeah they do a thing um called well, yeah we don't give anything away but just to situate you all because this is probably the one people have not seen and might be a little hesitant yeah it's terrible yeah they're taking place part in this kind of like theater troupe uh so to say they don't perform but they conform to a lifestyle of something they called spazzing, which is when they go out and act mentally or physically disabled, handicapped, whatever you want to say. That's how they perform out towards the world. And, you know, they do it, you know, to sort of, you know, get out of bills, um, to just piss off people who are uncomfortable that they might be living next door to, uh, people who are not like them. And th- this woman, Catherine, who gets involved with this group, she's brought to this big house that they're all staying in. Um, and then commune style, of course. But then the reasons as to maybe why they're all there, why she's there, how they have this house start to come out over the course of the movie. And things gradually change when i don't want to spoil it but they have some guests show up to the house one day and it kind of challenges what's going on and it does kind of reshape the movie now on the issue of is this offensive as the movie says is this poking fun um 
Sure. Sure, it's poking fun. You, there's no way around that. But but what it's doing is it's pushing you to say, so why is this behavior abhorrent? It forces you more if you're actually caring about people in the world. Maybe you would be more apt to, instead of wonder and chastise the characters for what they're doing, more for how people in the outside world are reacting to what they're doing. That's the that's the aim here. Like there's a you must like there's a personal complex in a person who can only see beyond what these characters are doing, not how they're affecting other people in the narrative. And that is the beating heart of the movie. It's beating Blackheart, if you will. But this is true rebel against society. This is true rebel against the notions of taste of, of normal accepted behavior um and and you're gonna find a lot of heart in this movie if you stick through it um and there's some really fucking funny parts in this movie yeah what yeah, it's so funny because this group the, of people is incredibly scene the bar the scene oh, in the yeah. bar is all i'll say but that is hilarious Mm-hmm. where that goes and this is a movie we just truly can't spoil which sucks because i'd love to just talk about these scenes but yeah we'd also do it for 10 hours <laughs> yes 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 um, um i just want to tie one thing to highlight um because i think we you know are effectively tying them together thematically because it works very well but as far as aesthetically too and one of the things that's so inter- interesting with von trier here is like you know everyone knows it was shot uh you know on tape essentially, and then blown up to film. Um, But, like, so that's a look and a choice all its own, of course. But why this is so important is because this is after Von Trier met Thomas Vinterberg, who started the Dogma 95 movement. And I'm not going to read all the rules or anything, but if you want to, it's interesting. You can look up this crew of people who were mad about movies and were like, let's see what we can do to take away all the modern conveniences that movies offer. And you had to get to to be an official dogma movie, which, of course, Julian Donkey Boy was later. Um, you had to get the stamp of approval from this crew. Right. And then your movie was part of the movement. But why Von Trier is so great and why he is similar to Tom Green is and similar to the character in this movie. He's excited that he's found Venterberg and he's found these people and he's excited to be a part of this thing. But because he's Von Trier, he broke uh, so many rules of Dogma 95 with this movie and yeah. lied about them to Vinterberg and everyone until it had come out and then he confessed his sins. Yeah, he but, had to write it out. Yeah. Yeah, he can't even, you know, he doesn't, he's not even interested in following the rules of the supposed outsiders because if there are any rules, then what's the point? Truly. And I mean, like, this is, you know, he also knows that, like, this movement wouldn't have started if he had not made breaking the waves and breaking the waves is what kind of like gets Vinterberg to want to do this uh, idea. And yeah, let's see. He, uh, what does he do? He moves a light during the production. Yeah, I can't. I pulled up that list. So there's, there's five or four sins. Uh, in the world of Dogma 95, that one intervened in the location, which means moving a source of light, a candlelight, by the way. Yeah. Still no, like, fucking key lights or anything. Uh, he used a stand-in because, also just heads up for folks, there is a brief moment of uh, real sex in this movie. 
And for that scene, he did. Lars <laughs> von Trier's always been friends with lots of different porn stars. Uh, and uh, he did use a stand-in for that, which is a no-no. And then uh, to have organized payment of cash to actors for shopping of accessories for food. So they could also. eat. Yes. Yes, they could eat. And then to have been aware of the fact that the production had entered into an agreement of leasing a car without the knowledge of the involved actor. <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible dude. <laughs> well, and also people got mad because of the music in there. Yes. But the music was not, it was supposed to be non-diegetic. And what that means is it can't, it had to omit from the source of the movie what we're seeing on screen. It can't be something overlaid onto the soundtrack. Well, what he did do is he had had a harmonica player sit just off to the side of the camera. Which is brilliant and doesn't count as a rule break in my it opinion. Doesn't count. <laughs> That's a brilliant thing, way to do it. The thing that I found so interesting about it is how Von Schreer left this thing open to more interpretation and not in an improvisation in so much that he would try to create a scenario in which to play. He says that when they tried just straight improvisation, it was awful. But when he created this kind of environment for them to do it in, then the movie really took off. And he says the moment it really became special for him was when they shot the scenes in the woods and he put the microphones up in the trees. And then he realized he was felt like he was doing something closer to poetry when he was recording the natural sounds and letting those uh, swell on the soundtrack. So yes, this was definitely an attempt to kind of like shake the shackles of the means of production in Hollywood or all any major movie making capital of the world. And was kind of an homage to Truffaut's famous, uh, a certain tendency of French cinema article that he wrote for Cahiers de Cinema. So it is, there, there, there's in that time of the '90s, there was definitely like this want to go back to kind of the handheld, freewheeling attitude of the French New Wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Von Trier is the guy who brings that all back. Mm -hmm. And he's also uh, one of the other New Waves. I know he likes all of them, but he also really dug Japanese New Wave, um, yeah. especially Nagasaki stuff, which I also think is you know relevant here with the boundary pushing in his work of sex things and you know all of that and the the way he shoots stuff not this one obviously but i think can be tied to that too oh totally but i just mean with the french show he liked the idea of yeah. cameras being held shitty cameras and then going out into the streets and just doing it yeah. so um he achieves yes i think uh oh go ahead oh no i'm just saying he, he achieves that idea better than vinterberg ever did that's true. I love some Venterberg, but he never really, he couldn't really ever nail it. The only other one I like of the dogma movement is Julian Donkey Boy. I mean, I, li I like Venterbergs, but I think the only two like actual, like, you know, stone cold killers are <laughs> Julian and this. Yeah, they really are. And oh, <laughs> Julian with that lovely David Payo score. Oh. Well, Julian's, Julian's incredible. It's a, you know, you, you know, Trash Humbers is my favorite, but Julian is out and out the, the, the greatest thing Harmony ever touched. Easily. So, yeah, I mean, if you like Julian Donkey Boy, then there's a great way, and you haven't seen The Idiots, there's a great way to approach The Idiots because uh, Harmony certainly loves it. Harmony's mm -hmm. a big fan of that movie. All you uh, worst person in the world heads, Joaquin Trier loves that movie. 
Yeah, and he used to. I don't think he does anymore. But yeah, he might not anymore. But he definitely I think he lost touch with the things he loved when he made reprise. But whatever. That's probably true. Um, <laughs> our boy Sean Baker loves it. Uh huh. I mean, yep. you know, it has, it has had a very. It was kind of a stealth influence because if you brought it up for a long time, um, people immediately shut down. And like, it was truly a, a one of the rare movie titles that often triggers people instantly and in a way that they're just like nope don't want to hear any fucking else thing you have to say and so people like sean baker haven't talked about it a lot but you know are now being able to thankfully um because it's it's had a reassessment um with it's you know theatrical re-release and all that shit but yeah it's just i think really why part of why we're so excited about this double two is it's a, a lovely sweet spot where yes it's challenging material in both films but our our favorite thing is when folks are so deeply touched and moved by watching two films together and this is one of the coolest experiments we've done in that realm because if you are open and even if you feel uncomfortable or feel like you're not down for a while watching these movies if you stick it out with both of them I really think you'll be shocked at the end of the night how good you will feel yeah, and yeah, and to be honest, Will's correct, but he's way more kind about that. If you are uncomfortable with this, you're a baby, and you should <laughs> you should not come to this. I, this is the last highs and lows for a while. Just just enjoy enjoy the evening, like the characters who can just feel free for a few hours. Just let go for a little bit. You can go back to carefully organizing all your complaints with culture later but like <laughs> for now just come out for a night at the movies like it used to be pretend the internet doesn't exist pretend you open up your newspaper and you were like huh that's interesting you go yeah. check it out your uncomfortability doesn't matter to any of us <laughs> you can be <laughs> held accountable of your own level of comfort and remove yourself like an adult there's no pulling a fast one with this y'all know what these movies are y'all can look them up if you're worried about it, look them up. If you don't like what you, you know, please don't listen to random people just yelling. But if you want to just literally read the plots of the movies and you don't like what you hear and you're not interested, that's fine. Don't come. But if you do come, well, and that doesn't mean, by the way, if after the things you didn't like something or whatever, I'm all, I'd love to talk about differing opinions on things for sure. That's fine. But if your goal is to, you know, say just to just to get something for uh for your internet presence and just to say these fucking pieces of shit whatever don't talk to us we don't care okay. <laughs> we don't fucking care and also the last time someone you know attempted to cancel us it didn't work and this doesn't have anything behind it so if that's your goal good fucking on that that was the time i felt truly alive i would rather live in a world canceled than live in a rule playing by your fucking dumb rules and that's how these movies both feel so yeah with that said, we'll see you real soon. It's gonna we'll be see you real soon. We love you. Okay, I love you all. Bye bye.